All right. Well, we are in the third week of a message series on the Reformation, and we're looking at five important themes that came out of that time, and they are Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and to God be the glory alone. And today we're talking about this theme of faith alone. And uh, this week, on Tuesday, October 31st, is the 500th anniversary of the Roman, of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. On October 31st, 1517, a monk named Martin Luther posted a paper on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Uh, the church door at that time was like the, uh, the uh, bulletin board of the day. And he posted these 95 pretty controversial statements condemning some of the practices of the Roman Catholic Church at that time in history. And prior to the 1500s, um, the Roman Catholic Church was the only church. And they had a great deal of power, both religious power and political power. And that saying that power corrupts had played out in a variety of ways in the church at that time in the 14 and 1500s. So last week we looked at four of the reasons that Martin Luther um, fought for reform in the church, said that some things need to change. And we're going to review those really quickly and then look at one more this week. So the first thing was that the church had this distorted teaching about the persons of God Almighty and of Jesus Christ. They taught that both God and Jesus were fiercely judgmental. And the possibility of spending hell in uh, spending eternity in hell or going to purgatory for a very long time were uh, very real. And this fear drove Martin Luther to great lengths to try to please God. Last week we talked about how he slept on the floor and how he prayed for hours on end and that he would fast for such long periods of time that... Um, other monks said that you could see his bones through his skin, that he, he just went to such great lengths to fast. And that fear was magnified by the church's teaching on purgatory. The church taught that most people don't go straight to heaven, that they spend a time in, in this in-between place called purgatory where you're purged from your sins. And they would suffer this refining fire for thousands and sometimes millions of years. And Martin Luther couldn't go to sleep at night. He was so afraid that, you know, he'd die in the night and he'd end up in, in purgatory for uh, and all this suffering. But what looked like a piece of good news was that the church also taught that um, the pope and the priest had been given a treasury of merit that could be dispensed as they saw fit to shorten a person's time in purgatory and to forgive sins. There was, um, unfortunately, this led to some corruption in the church and in the gospel message. Uh, in order to fund the building of the St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, uh, Pope Leo X authorized the sale of indulgences. All right, so they have this treasure of merit, and so let's not just give it away, let's sell it. And an indulgence was a little piece of paper that could, you could purchase 
that would shorten your stay in purgatory. Or you could get a plenary indulgence and skip purgatory altogether. And Martin Luther was appalled at this idea that you could buy your way into heaven. And the sale of indulgences was Martin Luther's primary focus in this 95 thesis, um, that the things that he was arguing against in the church at that time. But there were other problems as well that led him to push for reform. We're going to look at one more of those this morning and talk about two ways to live by faith. So another way that the church had become corrupt was the practice of selling relics. Um, are, were any of you raised in the Catholic Church? I know Sandy was. Barb was? Okay. So maybe you have some familiarity with um, relics and Catholicism. But um, a def- I want to give you a definition for those who aren't that familiar. A relic is the bones, ashes, clothing, or personal possessions of a deceased holy person's body or belongings kept as an object of reverence and sometimes associated with miraculous healings and other acts of God. So so these relics would be things like a bone from a saint's body. Um, One church had uh, St. Anne's thumb. All right, so things like that were, were relics. Um, they were things that belonged to a saint or even to Jesus. Another example would be Jesus' swaddling clothes. Um, those were among some of the relics of the church. A wisp of Mary's hair, uh, part of John the Baptist's leather belt. All of these things, uh, and this sounds kind of strange, right? Uh, these were relics in the church. And the root of this goes back to very early in church history. The use of relics began in the second century when Christians were being persecuted for their faith. And a bishop named Polycarp was um, uh, martyred by the Romans, and he refused to recant or to uh, deny Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And so he was bound, and he was sentenced to be burned at the stake. But when they lit the fire to burn him at the stake, the fire burned hot. But it says in the history books that the, the fire would not touch him. It was like a sail around him that God was protecting him. And so this centurion that was put in charge of executing him had a soldier go and then kill him by, the, by a sword. And then they took his body and they, they did burn it um, it publicly, and there's a quote that comes from that time that was written by the Christians that observed it. They said, "Later, we collected up his bones, more precious than jewels and better purified than gold, and put them in an appropriate place where the Lord willing, we shall celebrate the birthday of his martyrdom each year with joy and rejoicing, both to remember those who have run their race." and to prepare those yet to walk in their steps. So this um, preservation of holy sites started out as a way to remember the martyred saints and to encourage those uh, other people who would follow in their steps, in their footsteps, and be martyred as well. And it became common to make the tombs of the saints then into these sacred sites, And people began to make pilgrimages to these sites. And they believed that the saints had special 
intercessory power in heaven because of their close relationship with Jesus Christ. And people's faith were so strengthened by these pilgrimages that they made and the idea of being in the presence of these saints that some people were even healed um, and experienced that when they would visit these sites. But the popularity of the sites and later these relics of the saints became an open door for another abuse that led Martin Luther uh, to seek change in the church. And that was the collection and sale of relics. Okay, so on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posts these 95 theses on the door at Wittenberg. The next day, they opened the doors wide, All Saints Day, November 1st, and as had been the custom for many years, thousands of people made a pilgrimage to Wittenberg to view a huge collection of these relics. 17,000 relics were on display. The church where he posted these theses was known for its relic collection. So they had some straw from uh, Jesus' manger and then uh, some bread from the Last Supper. I guess this is the extreme in leftovers. Um, a, a, A branch from the burning bush and uh, cloth from Jesus, you know, seamless garment, uh, a sponge that had been used at his crucifixion, you know, when they had the wine and the gall, and Jesus drank from it, Um, a thorn from his crown of thorns, some uh, myrrh and gold from the, that they had, the kings had taken to the manger, Uh, some rocks from Mary's birthplace, 17,000 items like this, all right? And they, they were displayed in very ornate containers, not spice jars. But uh, we, so things like this, would, they'd have bones in them. Uh, here's some more. So they, they would have these very ornate containers for each of these little relics. And I was thinking, how did they put up 17,000 of them and whose job was that? But, you know, it's just once, once a year they did this. And relics were so important in the Catholic Church at that time that no one was allowed to start a new Roman Catholic Church unless they had at least one bone from a saint that could be put under the altar when it was consecrated. And I was watching this program on the Reformation, and they were saying that they would disassemble the saints' bodies and like, uh, for instance, St. Peter's body is under St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, but his head, his skull, is under another church. And um, so Luther agreed with the veneration of the relics, you know, visiting these holy sites. But when the church started teaching that viewing these relics would lessen your time in purgatory, Uh, Then he had a problem with that. And to make matters worse, Pope Leo X took that a step further, and he began to say that you could lessen your time in purgatory by purchasing these relics. And he started to um, give out these licenses to pardoners, (laughs) uh, people they were called pardoners, and they would travel around selling relics from town to town. 
And, of course, you had to buy a license from the Pope to sell relics, and so the church made money in that way. And these guys that would go around selling these relics made money as well. And, of course, it's, you know, it might be easy to authenticate that these rocks are from the town that Mary was born in, but a little harder to prove that this stick is from Moses, you know, the burning bush. And, and so some of these guys were scam artists. They were making money off of people's fear of spending time in purgatory. And like the sale of indulgences, Luke, Luther spoke out against the teaching that salvation was somehow connected by to viewing these relics or buying or purchasing bones or clothing or anything else. Salvation was by faith alone, faith in Jesus Christ, faith plus nothing else. And being made right with God depended not on our work, our efforts, but on the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So the, our memory verse this week and last week is from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let's read it together. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 8, 2, 8 and 9. We can't earn our salvation. It's a gift. And like any gift, we have to receive it to experience its benefits. So I want to talk about two ways that we can, uh, two actions we can take by faith. And the first is uh, to receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And every once in a while I want to talk about this in church because even though I look around, I think everybody here already has that relationship. I don't want to take anything for granted. And you know people who maybe need to hear the things we're going to talk about. But um, if you're new to Christianity or new to the church, you may be wondering, you know, what's this all about? What steps do I have to take to have God in my life? If it's not viewing relics, what is it? And your first step is a person. It's not buying relics or indulgences. It's not keeping a bunch of rules. It's not trying harder. It's not getting your life all together. Your first step is a person, and that's Jesus Christ. And when you make your decision to live for Jesus, God acts in your life in two ways. Um, he acts on your behalf. And the first way is a big theological word called justification. It, God makes you, uh, he forgives you, he pardons you, and through Jesus Christ you become justified, just as if you've never sinned. All right? Romans 5, 18 and 19 says, Here it is in a nutshell, just as one person, Adam, did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person, Jesus Christ, did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God moves us to this new position of uh, from being separated and alienated from God to being a child of God, a friend of God. And then the next step, at the very same time that God forgives us and pardons us of our sin, makes us clean, gives us a new heart, um, he regenerates us. 
And, and this simply means to be a new creation. You're given a new nature with a new heart. And this heart has a bent towards loving God instead of towards sinning. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, So if anyone's in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. So if you're a Christian, I hope you understand you are not the same anymore. You are spiritually, you were spiritually in the morgue, and now you are spiritually alive, a new creation. And that happens on the basis of faith alone, faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. And if you haven't received that life yet, at the end of the service, I'm, I'm going to pray for you in a minute here. And then once we receive new life in Christ, um, the next act of faith is to make your day-to-day decisions based on faith. Uh, the closing hymn today is, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it was written by Martin Luther. And the words really spoke to me in a new way after reading about Martin Luther's life. As I was reading the words of this hymn this week, it's like, wow, uh, that is such a change from this fearful monk. Uh, he, you know, he was afraid that he was going to die and go to hell, go to purgatory. He felt like God was against him. And then he turns, makes this turnaround, becomes an outspoken advocate for reform. And he risked his life to speak out against the corruption in the church. He was excommunicated from the church. Uh, the emperor was after him. He was put on trial as a heretic. For years, he had to be hidden away to keep him safe. And then it was during those years that he continued by faith to translate the Bible into the German language so the common person could read it. This was something two other people had been executed for. So one of the great outcomes of Protestant Reformation was assurance of salvation. You didn't have to wonder anymore, you know, did I view enough relics? Did I buy enough indulgences? You could have the assurance that because everything rests on what Jesus has done, you could have salvation by faith and faith alone. And, and Luther came to realize that God loves him, that God loves you. And that was such a burden that was lifted off of Martin Luther's shoulders. And it gave him the faith to fearlessly do great things for God. And when you think about what he risked to reform the church and recover the faith of the early church, um, you see that he really did trust that God was a mighty fortress, and he lived by that faith daily. Galatians two twenty and 21 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Um, and then I guess, it, does it go on? Okay, it says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, through works, through indulgences or relics, Christ died for nothing. God invites us to live by faith daily. God is for you. And what is God calling you to do by faith as you walk in this truth this week? What is God 
calling you to do by faith as you walk in truth, in this truth this week, with the assurance that God is for you. If God is for you, who can be against you, right? What is God, is call, what is God calling you to do? And, of course, living by faith will look different for each of us because we're all in different homes, we're in different life situations, we have different challenges to overcome. But as we walk by faith, God is working out his purposes in our life and making us more and more the person he created us to be. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And if you haven't uh, taken the opportunity to ask for this new life that we've been talking about this morning, the good news is that the good news of the Bible and the good news of the Reformation is that it's available to you and it's free. Free, free, free through Jesus Christ. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything uh, to qualify for it. And nothing that you've done in the past disqualifies you from having it. It's yours for asking. So let's pray together. If you want to ask God into your life, you haven't done that, I want to I pray with you. You just pray silently in your seat. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for dying for me. There are things in my life that if they were shown on a screen here, I'd be embarrassed and ashamed of. But I believe you died so that I could have a clean slate and a new heart. I accept the life that you came to offer me. I'm asking you to come into my heart and make it your home. Please be the Lord and Savior of my life. By faith alone, I accept the offer you've given me. In Jesus' name.